Because when people articulate what they do in their daily jobs, they can only tell you about 60% of what they do. The other 40% is really kind of just unwritten unknown. So we, we come in, we do some ethnographic surveys. We look at what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, see what's in their cubicles, see what's in their surroundings, uh, and try to take that into account as well. And really that leads into a conversation. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm Elevate IQ. Managing digital projects have never been easier. While there have been tons of attempts to improve the process with agile methodologies, the timeline, budget and scope are still tough to manage. There are several explanations as to why digital projects are harder. For example, each digital project is fairly unique, even if it is repeatable ERP implementation. Then you have the problems of invisibility. Managing digital projects have always been art and science. That's probably the reason why the success of these projects varies so much. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss planning for digital projects. We covered many grounds in this episode, including capturing the appropriate scope, iterations, and phases. We also discussed the pros and cons of using process templates from various vendors. Finally, we discussed several stories to identify the initial beachhead for e-commerce success and ongoing measurement and development. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. And today's topic is planning for digital projects. We are going to start with the intros. Tom, I would request you to start with your intro if you don't mind. I would be honored, Sam. I'm happy to be here. My name is Tom Robin, uh, CIO at Varian Medical Systems, and I have about 30 years of business experience. I was for about 10 years uh, a GE employee focused on supply chain, uh, so I had operational line item uh, budgetary responsibility. I did about 10 years of consulting. Uh, with PwC and with Deloitte, focusing on big ERP projects, and then uh, spent the last uh, 10 plus years at now Varian Medical Systems, where I'm back in industry, uh, but not in a supply chain role. Uh, I'm now the head of IT, as I mentioned at the start, the CIO. So lots of ERP-related work here as well. So I have a lot of thoughts about how to do uh, digital projects and ERP projects. Yeah, Tom, and I'm super excited to have you as well. Joanne, can I move to you for your intro, if you don't mind? 
Oh, absolutely. So my name is Dwayne Hess. I'm CIO of Action Engineering. I have about 20 years of design experience in uh, the various mechanical fields, distribution and logistics, even into some toy design. And I work with Action Engineering. What our company does is uh, we help manufacturers create, use, reuse, and automate their 3D CAD data. So we partner with our clients to build a more resilient future uh, for their manufacturing in a connected and trusted way using their 3D models that they already have. Yeah, so I'm super excited to have you, Duane. Thank you so much for that intro. I think your background is going to be fairly unique because you are going to bring that manufacturing flavor to digital transformation. And today we are going to be planning for a toy called ERP. Thank you so much for being here. Tim, can I move to you next uh, for your intro? Of course. Thanks, Sam, for having me on. Uh, Tim Harrison, VP of Sales at Warm Commerce. I've uh, basically gone from being an automation engineer, um, a lean manufacturing engineer, all the way through to getting into the wonderful world of sales. Um, And in that sales role, I was uh, promoting uh, automated storage and retrieval systems to uh, manufacturing industrial customers uh, throughout the Midwest and U.S. Um, And... uh, yeah, have a, a lot of experience, you know, working with that software and that equipment. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah, amazing. And uh, thank you so much, for Tim, for being here. And even though you are not directly involved in the planning, you are planning for your customers because if you cannot plan, they are not going to buy from you. So oh, you exactly. bring a very, very unique perspective from the customer's perspective. Thank you so much for being here, Tim. Marsha, can I move to you next for your introduction? Of course, Sam, and it's a pleasure to be here with this great panel and the audience. Um, I am a supply chain consultant with 18 years of experience, and I am the managing partner of USM Supply Chain. My background is in accounting, and then um, I moved to supply chain that is what I I really enjoy. So I have that uh, combination. And I I have uh, conducted transformations in supply chain, ERP, and in planning. So I'm excited about what we are going to talk today. Yeah, and Marcia, I think you are planning on a daily basis for your customers. You are working hands-on with them, and you are probably playing the role of the project manager for a lot of customers. So your insights are going to be super beneficial for our audience. So guys, uh, just to align the expectations overall from the topic perspective, the objective that we are trying to get from this conversation is going to be, let's say, if any executive, financial or operational, they are going through their journey of digital transformation. They need to know what to expect after they sign for an ERP or undertake ERP or digital transformation project. Initially in the sales phase, obviously there is going to be a lot of lot of planning to be done. But you know, once the selection phase happens, the only way to make sure that the project is going to be successful in number one planning and number two measuring against that plan. So we are going to start with one question and one more clarification overall from the scope perspective. I know a lot of you guys have background with the internal projects, executing your own projects digitally. Sometimes when you are executing your own internal projects, they could be slightly different when you are buying somebody else's product and implementing that. The overall implementation process, the kind of risks you are going to see is going to be slightly different. Our focus is going to be slightly more external 
not for the internal products yes there, there could be learnings from that as well but our focus is going to be really on the external projects that you are trying to buy and you are trying to actually implement that so the first question that i'm going to have for you guys is let's say if i'm the executive and i am trying to make sure that i have the my scope nailed down a lot of people talk about hey you know what you really need to know your your requirements if you don't know what your requirements are then it's going to be really hard but you know writing those requirements down is a tricky task it's not as easy sometimes what you're writing i may not understand as the consultant or it could be vice versa right so how to identify the scope how to identify the iterations and how to identify the right phases so i am going to start with you tom what are your thoughts in terms of identifying the scope iterations and the phases for any of the erp project that executives might be undertaking well um there are probably a number of different approaches to defining your scope um in my consulting days in particular understanding the business process scope was the key starting point in most cases um we were looking at a process decomposition uh as we would call it where we'd say there's a framework uh we know what the sales processes typically are we know what the um the manufacturing processes are the hr processes and so on and so forth um we have a model uh that's what a lot of the consulting outfits bring they bring this process framework or process decomposition model and then they do workshops with people they go through it and they say okay what do you do you don't do all of this you do some of this and then the way that we've defined it maybe close to what you do you may do it differently and we'll we'll refine this and we'll come up with a set of processes sub processes you know getting very down to a granular level in many cases um but we will define the scope of your business processes as a big first step um that's certainly one way to do it in a very common way i think it it's extremely useful especially it it can it can help you say then uh instead of maybe starting with the other the other thought i had which was where's your pain where's your pain where are the problems where are the issues that you're wrestling with and start there and try and define the scope around that but you could also take that process decomposition model and just say you know now now where's the pain we know what you do now where what's the source of the pain because having having those processes defined gives you a lot of integration insight as well you know where things begin and end and handoffs and flows and that that can be tremendously powerful uh when you define the scope because you start to see that there are things upstream as well as downstream maybe from your pain point and when you try to fix that you have to be very aware of what else is upstream and downstream in order to truly and properly define the scope there may be things in scope that aren't clearly sources of pain but maybe they're upstream and they they you know if we could fix this we could eliminate the pain or you know if we focus on where the pain is and we say we're going to fix that well that may have downstream implications and if we don't pay any attention to that we may create some new problems downstream so i think that that is one of the the best ways to go about defining your scope you know a combination of process framework and understanding the the pain the source of problems and issues what are you trying to improve yeah i completely agree with you that utilizing some of those frameworks that these consulting companies or the oems are going to bring to the table they could be significantly helpful in analyzing your own processes and identifying you know what is going to be in the scope and what is not going to be in the scope yeah and i'm not trying to sell consultants or or you know their models i'm just saying that was you could probably find these many of these models online too at this point 
and and do this yourself if you feel knowledgeable and competent and comfortable. But um, that is one of the values that the, the consultants can often bring. Yeah, exactly. And I'm probably going to have a clarifying question there, you know, because uh, there are a lot of consulting companies out there. There are a lot of ERP providers out there. They all are going to have their models. But the reality is 70 to 80% of the projects are either going to be behind budget, you know, behind timeline. So that's the reality. It's not that these companies are not really utilizing the framework, but how they are utilizing and whether they truly understand those frameworks and whether they can truly customize for their own needs is where the real talent is in my experience. So I'm going to have a clarifying question for you. So typically in any transformation project, there are gonna be at least five to 10 different pieces involved uh, when you talk about different systems. For example, let's say if I look at any of the medical device company, for a medical device company, you are gonna have an ERP system. You are probably going to have some sort of quality system that you might be using uh, that might not be integrated with your ERP just because it does not provide the, the default ERP does not provide the functionality that you might be looking for. You may have the e-commerce front. Okay, so you might have, let's say five to 10 different um, you know systems that you might be utilizing for your enterprise architecture. Now, each of the vendors that are going to come to the table, they all are going to say that, hey, here's my framework, okay? So how do you create a framework for yourself that is going to integrate all of that from the vendors? Do you have any best practices or the stories that you might be able to share in consolidating the, the info from, let's say, four or five vendors that you might be working with? Well, certainly you could adopt a framework uh, from one of the vendors and try and apply that more broadly. Uh, that, that can be certainly challenging. I think that's the, the implication of your question. Yeah. Um, and it may not even be a, a good idea. The, the, the frameworks may not be very good or may not exist. You know, Salesforce might not have a framework for manufacturing that you, know, you would say is any good. Exactly. Uh, you want to leverage in, although you have both of those components in your scope of the, your project. So again, uh, what, what I've seen be successful is try to be independent or agnostic when it comes to process definition come up with a, a, or choose a model. And that's again, what the consultants typically are promoting as well. You know, they're, they're, they're agnostic. They'll use their same framework, whether it's an Oracle implementation, an ERP, SAP implementation, maybe a, an Infor implementation. They might have flavors that recognize a little bit of difference in functionality of these things, but these tools, but if you can, if you can get a agnostic or independent process model as your starting point um, and apply that, I think that, can be a, a good way of taking out the, the 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 fighting between the vendors as to who's got the best model, um, as well as just not having to deal with all the gaps that inevitably will surface when you try and use one of their models and, and they're incomplete from your perspective project. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think there has to be a little bit of decoupling overall from the vendor perspective because each of the vendors are going to be speaking their own languages uh, and sometimes they might not be aligned with the, your business processes so you might a tool may be great just because you know it was built to do certain things but you need to still tweak that to your process to your business to your integration scenarios and the more you tweak that from the process perspective the, the more aligned your scope is going to be and the less risk you are going to get in the project. Thank you so much, for, uh, Tom, for that insight. Marsha, I'm actually going to move to you next. So let's say if we discuss the same scope, do you agree with what Tom said? You know, obviously the frameworks is going to be a, a base, 
to start with because you know you don't have to duplicate that work but still from your experience i think you are working with many different elp systems many different vendors and you know the pains i mean see if you simply took a framework from vendor that's not going to work from your consulting perspective right so what is your experience in defining the scope in defining the iterations and the right phases for the project yes um i start as as tom mentioned um, he uses a blended approach right with the processes and the pain points i start with the pain points because during that process we can assess if the expectations are realistic or not so that is um, i like to show uh, why we are doing a certain activity so in in other words is like to define success so i start with the pain points of each of the the teams and i provide some information right because when we are going to do these transformations there are other aspects that need to be considered like confidentiality of the data sometimes there are uh, team members that are reluctant to share data here we can see the bombs for example right so that's why i start with the pain point that aspect about confidentiality and another aspect is that uh, yes they may be resistant to share how they are doing the process maybe they are afraid or concerned what is going to happen after the implementation so that's the reason why i start with the pain points and of course um, i like to understand how the process uh, are done are conducted i take that as a starting point because i know that many times they don't follow what they are saying and other times the process may be more complicated than needs to be so that's why i like to to focus on the pain points and to the the second part of the question about uh, how to do with uh, the the different like vendor propositions and all what they are offering before to get to the market i what i do is the criteria with weighted average so we have key aspects again that those are based on the pain points and what we trying to accomplish and we give percentages so then i try to stay with that when we do the vendor evaluation that's why i like to do it before to avoid uh, like then we naturally become like more subjective because we like how a vendor presents instead of the other one okay amazing so you hit on some very important points and one of the points that i really like from your perspective and that is going to be similar to what tom has already mentioned it is going to be in some cases let's say if you are actually going to pick the vanilla process from a vendor they may have overcomplicated it because they may have designed it from the perspective of a very inclusive business which means they are trying to position a generalized model that can work for 10000 business i'll give you an example for example let's say if your business does not necessarily require let's say the pick confirmation pack confirmation sometimes the process may actually have the confirmation and the consultant may not explain you know what 
whether you need the pick confirmation no my vendor one says that you know what it has to be part of the process so you need to really simplify it from your perspective do you really require those things and if you take them as a base yes you are actually going to complicate your own scenario so i really like that that you need to simplify you need to align you need to really tailor you need to understand the implications from your perspective to narrow down the scope the other thing that you mentioned i don't know how they are correlated with the scope but some of the things are especially pain points when you and i'm actually trying to translate some of these things based on my understanding how that may be related so when you look at the pain points if you are really align this with your pain points then you will be able to identify the right scope as opposed to focusing on something else i think that's how the the pain points are touching and the criteria and uh, and the decision making is going to be similar so let's say when you are evaluating any specific process whether that needs to be included as part of the scope or not and if you have five people who are deciding on that one way could be just to get their votes and uh, do the weighted average uh, that's my understanding i don't know if you have any any clarifying thoughts there yes that is um, th- that is the process that's why i i take the pain point because um, as i as i mentioned some sometimes the expectations cannot be uh, possible in a certain time frame so that is the the point that uh, i would like to add like we need to consider also okay the time frame that we are going to do this transformation because sometimes if we want to do the scope as uh, like the team members would like is huge and we end up doing nothing or not doing as uh, efficiently as we can do yeah you are so right and one of the challenges that i get in my client base is you know thinking about this scope timeline budget quality in isolation they all are interconnected and that's what <laughs> your pmp organization is going to say that you know once you change the scope the timeline changes you need to really uh, you know believe in that and if you are simply thinking that you know what i don't want to change my timeline i don't want to change my budget the only thing i want to change is scope and what is going to happen if that happens then most likely your project is going to be delayed and you are really risking yourself so just be realistic is is going to be my personal recommendation so duen i am actually going to move to you next for your insight overall from the scope perspective you do a lot of internal projects as well what are some of the best practices that you have seen in identifying the scope so that your budget or timeline is not going to be impacted when you are uh, identifying the scope iterations and the right phases so some of the things that we do is we try to ident- identify what that scope is what the desires are of our customers and make sure that those are clearly articulated from both their end and our end so it's that uh, kind of call and response aspect and to to both Tom and Marsha we do a lot of pain point exercises as well just to make sure that we have all of the scope identified because when people articulate what they do in their uh, daily jobs they can only tell you about 60% of what they do the other 40% is really kind of just unwritten unknown uh so we we come in we do some ethnographic surveys we look at what they're doing on a day-to-day basis see what's in their cubicles see what's in their surroundings uh and try to take that into account as well and really that leads into a conversation so our our scope starts out with a typical framework we have you know several different stages that we do we know it's going to take a long time it's not a simple 18 month turn it on we're going to go we're talking several years just because it's such a a enterprise wide it's such a cultural change that these companies are dealing with and that gets big and messy when you start dealing with people 
and resistance to change and change management. Uh, so it comes down to the communication and understanding of what those people need and what they really want. Uh, so for us, the scope is uh, extremely intertwined with uh, the the wants and needs of the workers. Yeah, I agree with everything that he said, and I especially love your insight about that sixty uh, to forty percent. And a lot of people, the reason why they fail is because they simply focus on sixty percent. They don't really worry about the forty percent that is going to be unsaid. So you really need to do that discovery. The other point that I really like about that you mentioned uh, in focusing on timeline. If you focus way too much on timeline, sometimes what could happen is at the end of the day, all of the digital transformation and the projects that you are going to do, they are going to be very people centric. And if you are going to overpress any of that, it's probably going to fire back because people don't like, you know, rushing into things, especially when it comes to, to, to change. So I really like that. I know that, you know, everybody's going to be worried about timeline and budget, how much it is going to cost. And you are talking about, uh, multi-year uh, transformation project, sometimes that could be very tricky to start when you don't know when that is going to finish. But at the same time, if you rush too much, that's not going to go so well. I don't know, Duen, if you have any clarifying comments there right now or thoughts. It, as far as uh, putting putting like limiters or determinations on the, the timeline itself, usually it's, it's budgetary. Because it's a multi-year project, you have to keep coming back to your customers at that annual when it, when they have their budgets approved. So, you know, in October every year when somebody has their budget approved, you have to kind of come back, look at your scope, look at your schedule, look at the milestones you've been hitting and make sure that uh, one, you're performing and hitting those and two, making sure that you're providing a value back. And, and that will lead into the multi-year project. We have some customers we've been working with for five, six years. They're making great progress, but they are still on the beginning of their journey. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, change is hard. Any of the digital processes are going to be hard. Again, that goes back to people. Some people claim that, you know, what I have implemented digital pro projects in 30 days, 90 days, you may have implemented. But, you know, when we talk about the adoption and the actual adoption of that tool inside the team, that's almost like learning a new language. There's no way to learn a new language in 30 days, okay? You have to be patient with yourself. You have to be kind with your team, and that is the only way. By the way, uh, I really agree with what Chris said, and so this is the, the most common situation that we get, that, you know what, I'm going to give you five days on-site and figure out the process, implement for me. Sure, we can implement, but what are the odds that we are going to miss those 40% point that you mentioned because that nobody knows that's the hidden knowledge that the company maintains over the period of time as they are moving through that journey so thank you so much for that insight Joanne. really appreciate it tim what are your thoughts with respect to scope do you agree with everything that has been said, said so far disagree tell me your thoughts yeah so so far i, I generally agreed with everyone and uh, to, to tag along on to kind of a theme here i've, I've heard in a couple different of the the speakers is this idea of you know making all this change? You're making a big change when you implement an ERP system, and I think the the systems that I've seen from the outside go in, the the ones that have went in the most smoothly are the ones that actually replicated the existing processes as much as possible, and that's good and bad. Uh, it's good in that you know that adoption is much higher because now the people are going to do the same things; they're just doing it in different screens, and then with organizations that adopt that kind of idea that, okay, let's just get an up-to-date ERP system that handles, you know, that really supports us on this end, that end, et cetera. And let's, let's get our processes just 
transferred over, basically just do like a, a mirroring of the processes in a newer ERP. Um, but then to getting the value, there's a stage two or phase two approach where, okay, now we've got everything in there. Now let's really go in there and dig deep into the processes. How can we streamline them and improve upon each of these different legs in the, the system? And then as far as like, you know, the scope, you know, starting, you know, I guess going back to the beginning of the conversation and speaking about developing the scope of work, I like to look at the data. Where does the data reside? What interfaces do we have? What, you know, if I were to unplug computers and servers, what happens? What stops working? And, you know, you're not going to go out there and do that. But if you go in there with that mindset, then you can really start to determine, okay, this system over here does this. Um, I've had... Uh, I've been involved in projects where we interface with ERP systems quite a few times. But what will happen is, you know, maybe we had to use, uh, you know, a little piece of custom software to do the translating, you know, between the ERP and what we had to offer. The consultant will come in, create this grand process, and you know, everything's supposed to go great. They fire up the system, and then I get a phone call saying, "Hey, the software's not working." Well, it's not working because you never called us in to ask us what is it, you know, what actually interfaces here. So, you know, a small little program that might have cost a, a couple thousand dollars to put in became a critical issue because nobody even knew that it existed aside from the vendor that was involved. So, um, yeah. So amazing insights, Damon. I love the example, the way you are going to disconnect those systems. And that should be the way, to be honest, in designing the integration, in understanding. Love your story about that custom program because that's probably going to be your problem all the time in every single project because oh, everybody, yeah. when they think about the integration, they are, hey, you know what? I have these fancy APIs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is published through API. API doesn't do anything. API is just a face. You still have to map your business processes. You right. still have to understand your business. You still have to test <laughs> if you don't yeah. do that. And by the way, I mean, that's not even part of the scope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. You, you figure all that stuff out after the fact. Oh, by the way, now we need to do this because this wasn't built into it, uh, into the plan. Exactly. So I, I I love the story. And overall, I think, you know, the way you mentioned that, you know, if you're simply trying to replicate your existing infrastructure, existing ERP system, see, if you are implementing an ERP system or a digital pro project, most likely you have growing pains. Okay, you have some sort of pain points, and that's the reason why you are implementing it. And the reason why you have those pain points is because your either business changed over the period of time, the state that you considered when you started your project in the beginning, that completely changed now. You are a different business. So you need to model your process as you are today. <laughs> you cannot be five years old when uh, you are trying to implement the new system. So I really appreciate that insight. So I'm actually going to move to the next question, which is going to be slightly more sexy is uh, the term I'm going to use in the indie community. And the reason why I'm using that term is because this is going to be a discussion between Agile versus Borderfall. Uh, this is going to be a discussion that everybody likes to have in the community. But when we look at the ERP system, it's a very different piece, okay? So when we are planning for the methodology for a project, a lot of people are going to say that, you know what, you don't have any problem. I'm going to implement in 30 days because we follow Agile methodology. That is the new methodology that we have figured out. And then once you get into the project, then the project does not finish in nine, uh, you know, next 10 months, 12 months or whatever. So your methodology is not going to solve anything. Okay. It is going to be your scope. It's going to be your, uh, your definition. So I am going to ask you if you were to choose a methodology for a specific project, what will be your approach in choosing that? How you will decide 
how you will develop the criteria. So, Tom, I'm going to start with you again. Well, this one uh, brings back very, very interesting memories for me, Sam. Um, so I, I was involved in some of these uh, religious discussions uh, where, where non-agile advocates were heretics to be burned at the stake. And, uh, and it, was, it was just the new way, the right way, the only way a sensible human being would conduct a project uh, in this day and age. And I don't fully believe that. So I think there are many, many appropriate uses for agile. Yeah. I believe that if you have a stable system already and you are able to do uh, enhancements, bug fixes, even even process improvements and system improvements that are relatively small in scale, agile is the absolute right way to go. You can create the user stories, you can go and test them in a in a in an in a efficient way, release them uh, to production, and and have this kind of weekly uh, or you know whatever frequency you think is appropriate for your organization. I think uh, with uh, Salesforce, we started with uh, a monthly release. We moved to a biweekly release. Uh, in some cases, I think we've actually, uh, in, in certain parts, we've got a, different cadences in different areas, but we're at weekly in some cases. So we've gotten better and better at it. And uh, But the original Salesforce implementation, uh, when we did a global replacement of the old CRP system, and it was actually multiple systems. There was one for sales, there was one for service, there was another one for training education. The installation guys were doing different things from the field service guys. They had you know, two different databases in Lotus Notes that were cobbled together. And, and, and so it was a mishmash and it was a, a complex move to take all of that global scope, multi-functions in the business, and move from that collection of CRM tools, if you will, to a single platform. And we ended up in that case saying, well, we can do a agile process with user stories and sprints and, uh, and taking it from uh, design through build. But when we get to test and promote to production, we're going to need to do this a little bit more in a waterfall process. We're not gonna be able to release pieces of this complete system replacement without building all kinds of interfaces for each of these pieces to actually still function and replace some piece that's part of a larger integrated whole in the existing landscape. So we ended up saying, okay, let's go agile from design through build. And when we get to test and deploy, we will be basically going waterfall because it's larger scale. But once we have the entire system in production, that first global multifunction release, we're going to now go back and say, even test and deploy can begin to become a truly agile process. So I think you have to look at your approach to uh, and, your, and your legacy systems. I mean, again, we, we looked at things and said, it's going to be very difficult to tease these legacy systems apart in a way that will allow us to do a piecemeal, gradual, agile replacement. And, and so for us, uh, we, we thought that was, that was the right way to go. Hybrid for the first big project. And then later on, we went pure agile. 
Yeah, so I completely agree with you that, you know, there is going to be some sort of context and you are not going to have just one approach. This is the approach that you need to be taking and that's it. All your problems are going to be solved. Uh, it doesn't work that way. But even with that, I am going to have one clarifying question for you that I see in a lot of cases. So Agile is actually designed to solve a lot of problems. I like a lot of different attributes of Agile. For example, the sprint, the delivery of the software every two weeks, which is amazing because you get value right there. The value-focused conversation, which is, again, phenomenal value from the stakeholder perspective. But one of the things, and again, I have seen like a million versions of Agile because there is no clear consensus on what a real Agile is. And some people get too fussy in terms of, no, 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 no. This is how you're supposed to do this. This is how the book says, but then you don't really understand the context. So one of the problems that I am noticing in the community is going to be, okay, agile means, okay, you are going to put these stories, you are going to develop, but you need to have the requirements documented somewhere, okay? Uh, I don't think agile says that, you know what? Today you are agile, everything is going to be in the form of user story, and nine months down the project, if I need to, if I'm coming as the new person in the project, I am not going to have even a document that gives me view of the business and the architecture. So I have zero documentation in the project. And now my tool becomes a black box because that knowledge is sitting right inside the tool. I need to talk to developers if I need to understand the business. Can you believe that? So this is the trend that I am seeing in the market that nothing is documented literally. Everything goes in the user story. So your whatever tool you are using for the user story, that's going to be black box. Your ERP or whatever tool you are building, that is going to be a black box. And if the person who's responsible for the project, if they leave, that's it, you are done. <laughs> so I don't know what your experience is. I mean, do you recommend that you, know, you should still be doing your project charter? You still need to define your scope. You still need to have your requirement document, the real requirement document. And then you break them down into the stories, into the epics, however you are managing them. That's more of the scheduling and the, the execution. But you cannot skip the phase where you are not going to have a centralized place for the business requirement. So, Tom, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, you know, different people have figured out different ways of probably solving that problem. I know in my experience and specific to the examples I was just sharing, uh, we took the user stories and in the initial build uh, and deploy project, we were capturing them uh, and storing them ultimately in ServiceNow, where you know in that system, there's many different tools you could use to store the user stories, um, but we were then using them as the basis for our, uh, our ongoing enhancements or fixes to the system. So they became uh, the in a sense, the process framework for the CRM implementation. Uh, if you were going to make any change, do anything new, you had to identify the user story that you were updating. Um, when we were doing the initial build, you know, there was the business team that was putting together a user story, oftentimes in collaboration with somebody from IT, and maybe a consultant at the time, we did have consultants involved as well, not, not anymore. And the, the IT slash consultant group, the more technical side, would put together a spec of some kind and attach that to the user story as to you know, how they were expecting to configure or code um, the solution. Maybe it would be pseudo code, if you will, uh, but they would put together a description of how they were expecting to implement this user story. So we would, we would actually proceed down that line even before the whole thing was built. And uh, yeah, I mean, it would be iterative, that's typical in, in Agile, but 
we were pretty clear on the requirements. You know, we had templates for what you have to say in your requirements. It wasn't just write a story. You know, you had to actually follow the template that outlined what the requirements would be in a story, what a story really looks like. Um, and that would be the, the feed into IT and the consulting group that was more technical. And they would write their part. That was part of the template. What was what was the technical interpretation of this story? And so we would have that document before we even wrote the actual code. Again, it was agile and it's because it was small in scale. Typically, we're trying to keep these things digestible, manageable. Um, but uh, and then transitioning all that into into our ongoing ticket management, enhancement management tool, which we chose ServiceNow and using that as the basis for any updates. You had to pick the story. You had to identify what you were changing in the story uh, in order to then get it approved and uh, part of a sprint. So. Yeah, thank you so much. Some very interesting insights. So, Marsha, now I'm actually going to move to you. What is your experience overall in terms of designing the right framework for the project? Would you choose the waterfall? Would you choose Agile? Uh, which flavor of Agile? How would you structure this? Yes, it depends. In, as Tom was mentioning on the scope and also the organization that we are doing these transformations or, or projects, right? Because in, in a large company like Cummins, right? Cummins Engine, well, there were different um, implementations, in, in particular in, for indirect side that involve everyone, everyone at the company that needed something need to use a system. So in that case, um, there were more resources uh, available. There were more teams. There were uh, consultants on board. So there was a, a more a more a structured approach and more resources. But that is different when we do this uh, when we do project management. If the company is smaller, for example, first time that they are implementing an ERP. You can see there that first, they don't know what to expect. So they would like to understand faces. So more in a traditional way to see when we are going to get this accomplished and who is going to do it. Of course, then there will be changes. But in those cases, you have one resource that maybe is involved in, in many of the, the activities. So depends on that, on also on the team. And I'm saying this like on both sides, because I have been also in when there's a new system, an enterprise-wide system implemented. And I have seen this like in Cummins, in Cody, like very large companies. Okay, yes, they they have everything, the instructions, what to do, the process flow, process map, everything. They give that to me, I don't read that, okay, because it's too many pages, too many documents, I don't know even where to start. And I don't want to spend an hours just to see how to start, so I, I can see what happens. That, now, there are other approaches, like when we have, for example, videos. Before, when I started with all of this, nobody practically used videos. So with videos, we can also show 
in particular for a function, what that person is going to do. So the, the approach that for project management, I still use like a traditional approach. I mentioned the scope the, and the certain phases. That is what I do, like an overview. And then I can show the details. But to show, in particular for companies that are new to these transformations, to show the complete blueprint, like SAP Business One, that you can download that, is overwhelming. So then they have so many tasks to check that at the end is like the, the work is increased and it can have a negative effect in the implementation. Okay, amazing insights there. So I am going to move slightly quicker just because we are running out of time and I want to make sure that we are able to touch some of the points that I really wanted to cover. So Joanne, I'm actually going to ask for your insights so far overall your uh, perspective on agile versus waterfall and do you agree with everything that has been said so far do you have any disagreements so far uh disagreements no um but we we do we start off with more of a waterfall approach okay. because of the the epics and how the epics and you have your dependencies and then once we we get the epics defined we start going into a more agile um, approach a lot of our customers are hierarchical and prefer the waterfall approach because it gives them certainty and then once it comes in house uh, to our company, we're a little bit more amorphous and flat, so the agile uh, methodology works much better with us. We can swarm things that need to be swarmed. Yeah, and I like that approach, to be honest, especially when you are in the vendor-customer relationship. That is probably the the right approach. In fact, I mean, see, I'm not even sure if Agile says that, you know what, you should be actually skipping that requirement phase. I really don't believe so, unless you are talking about pure Kanban, because you have to have your requirements done. I mean, and requirements could be done in the agile manner as well but <laughs> that is not to say that you are not going to have a centralized document and the requirements which is going to give somebody perspective in terms of what your uh, the state of the system is as of today let's say if you need that for training or need to do any sort of customization if you don't have that written then i don't know how somebody can really get trained on the system how they can they can figure out those requirements so no, requirements documentation is absolutely essential that is your north star that is your guiding post that you have to follow all throughout the project or you're going to fail yep yep i agree okay so tim i'm actually going to move to you what are your thoughts so far do you agree disagree what have you seen in your experience yeah so i agree um more so with this idea of a, a hybrid approach i think everyone's you know speaking to that kind of a, a model and i compare this to Open, open heart surgery, anytime, and this does not just apply to digital transformation, but any kind of transformation in an organization, the longer the transformation actually takes that change, the, you know, the, the more likely or susceptible you are to the cost overruns. You're also, you know, uh, the, the lower the adoption rate is because people are going to be fighting it along the way. And then your timelines become indefinite. So to me, it's this idea of, okay, you're going to make a change. You better make it and make it quick and be intentional about it. So I think a lot of organizations, what they do is they say, oh, we're going to change this software, our financial software. We're going to do this different. And then those changes ended up dragging on and on and on. And it's like a patient bleeding out on the table. So, you know, with a surgeon, I want him to have a, a broad picture, you know, the waterfall approach. He, he needs to be able to see the big picture. But then when he's inside of me, I want him to do what he needs to do to keep me alive and keep it going along the way. So, yeah, to me, that's... Uh, Something I think a lot of people, you know, lose sight of is, oh, yeah, we've got this five, you know, five, you know, 10 year, you know, timeline. Well, a lot of things can happen or change in that time frame. So 
you know, are you really going to realize the same ROI or benefits that you originally thought of? Probably not. So get in there, get your job done, and then move along. Yes, I agree with your examples, and your examples are always very interesting, by the way. So thank you Powerful. so much for <laughs> thank you so much for sharing those. So I actually want to move to the next question because uh, I don't think we have as much time. So let's say if I'm the executive and I am actually trying to go through my digital journey, it could be ERP implementation, it could be integration, or it could be any other projects. So what are different faces that I should be aware of as I am planning? And what are going to be the expectation that I'm going to have? For example, let's say if I'm doing the requirement phase, what am I expecting from my team so that I have some sort of output as opposed to not accomplishing anything in that? And sometimes, you know, it could be touchy-feely, but we need to have some sort of deliverables as part of each of the phases that we are going to have. So, Tom, I'm actually going to move to you again. And let's say if you were to break down the overall approach of how to execute a digital project what are different phases and what are different expectations than executives can have from each of those phases you know one of the things that i, I think we haven't talked about yet that is is critically important on these you know when planning for digital projects or yeah. di digital erp projects is is an awareness of how of what the right resources would be over the life of the program or the project the the people that you need in the initial launch of the project, uh, the you know the efforts to get the funding to get um, the scope defined at a high level, those will be probably more executive level or senior level people that have some authority and weight, and they may end up being stakeholders in in a later phases of the project. But I think when we're in the the design phase for the early stages, uh, you know, depending on what methodology you're using and what you call the phases. But I think that um, you, you are looking at clearly different people. You want them to be extremely knowledgeable about the existing business processes and, and also very aware, maybe acutely aware of the pain points. Um, they have experienced them perhaps personally uh, and are living with them day to day. But um, those, those people uh, also need to have, I believe, ideally some wait still because you're not going to bring hundreds of people, thousands of people, depending on the size of your company, into this requirements gathering process. You have to have people who will be respected to be able to represent different functional areas. Uh, and uh, when they say this is our scope, these are our requirements, you know, there may be some vetting processes beyond just the initial collection with a handful of people. But again, you're not going to go out to every user and say, does this resonate? Are these the right requirements? Right. You won't get consensus. Number one, and number two, take forever. So, uh, you know, you, you have to have that in the, the design and uh, maybe even build phase. And, and I think as you progress down, you know, the, the people required are different and may, you may be augmenting the team when you get into, into you know, test cycles and deployment cycles, but that's that's just one observation I think we we haven't talked much about. Just you know, what kinds of resources do you need at what phases in the program? So that's yeah, one call. By the way, you sort of answered my question to be honest, because that does address the the number of phases and and from the resourcing perspective. By the way, that's a very interesting point. So we are going to stick to that. And the way you mentioned about identifying these people, I like to think more in terms of the thought leaders. 
you need to identify your internal thought leaders because they very rarely get challenged even inside the organization. So as opposed to uh, thinking about external thought leaders, you need to find your internal thought leaders or the subject matter experts. They are well respected uh, from the team. And if you bring them on board and if they are sort of communicating the requirements, most likely everybody is probably going to buy in. So thank you so much for that. Marsha, I'm going to move to you. You can pick either of those questions, whichever you like, and you can address, uh, you can you can tell us whether you agree with what Tom said, disagree. Yes, it's, it's a critical point uh, to talk about the resources. The, the first phase is to define the requirements and then the scope, because in that way we see uh, how we are going to execute. And what is important, um, right, is to define roles and responsibilities uh, from the beginning. I'm saying that because I have made that mistake many times. So I think now I, I have learned my lesson. Uh, that, that is important and also to define what we are trying to accomplish, how we are going to define success for the project, have a way to validate what we are doing, right? Because after we implement, we need to indicate if is um, what we expected or not, if what we are seeing, the results are correct. So validation for me is also very important. All of this is like pre-execution. And then, of course, in the execution, we have all of those challenges with change management and project management. Yeah, amazing. Great points, Marsha. And Joanne, what, what is your perspective so far overall? Uh, you can pick either of those questions and you can address whichever you like. Well, I, I agree with both Tom and Marsha. Um, you have to have your, your initial champions in the room to establish your requirements. We start off with mission and vision statements. Uh, we can usually do those each in a couple of hours. So for us, that's pretty quick. Uh, the next thing is, uh, to Tom's point as well, part of the change management is getting your network nodes into the um, conversation, into the, into the uh, room where all the decisions are being made because they're the ones that are going to take that message out into the rest of the organization. So for us, it's, a, it's all about that communication. Uh, and that flows into the, the next stages, which in our business is pilot programs. So we identify one key functional component that we want to implement. We implement it, we document what those learnings are, and then iterate and continue on implementing pilot after pilot. Yeah, love the pilot approach. That's amazing. So Tim, I want to move to you quickly. Yep. What are your thoughts so far? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to have a champion at, uh, at in all the different business units and all the different functions um, that are involved with, you know, uh, adoption of a, a change like this. But it has to also be very practical. You know, the person that's practically using it needs to have a voice in some way, shape or form up through the, the planning process and the requirements gathering. So if you don't, um, if a manager doesn't get their shop floor person involved, they're not going to learn the little intricacies that make or break a system. You know, um, understanding why somebody in a warehouse has to go to a location multiple times when it's because they're working around the software. I mean, those are little details. You want to be able to pull that out in conversation. So I think that that information needs to be pushed up from the ground floor up to the, the strategic level. So going from tactical to strategic, I think that's very, very important. I agree with everything that you said. So now we are going to do the quick closing advice round. It's going to be just one line. Tom, do you want to share your closing advice quickly? I guess the choice of methodology on that particular topic 
Do not be a religious fanatic. Be practical. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Uh, Marsha, your closing advice. One line, please. Yes. Be prepared for changes. Amazing. Love it. Uh, Duane, your closing advice. One line, please. It's all about the people. It's all about the the trusted, vulnerable conversation. Love it. Tim, your closing advice. Uh, be intentional about the change. Be intentional about the change. Thank you so much, guys. See you all next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Tim Harrison, head over to warmcommerce.com. It's W-A-R-M-C-O-M-M-E-R-C-E.com. If you want to learn more about Duane Has, head over to action-engineering.com. It's A-C. T-I-O-N hyphen E-N-G-I-N-E-E-R-I-N-G dot com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, head over to Varian dot com. It's V-A-R-I-A-N dot com. If you want to learn more about Marsha Williams, head over to USM Supply Chain dot com. It's U-S-M S-U-P-P-L-Y chain.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Laura Goodrich, who discusses how and where to begin the journey of change, especially if you have been facing resistance from your team. Also, the interview with Amanda Prochaska, who discusses how to prepare for change with large transformation projects and why a continuous monitoring of emotional response is absolutely critical for the success of such projects. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.